The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. I want to say a special welcome to all who are visiting today here at The Springs and uh, to everyone that's here. I was just mindful as we gathered for communion that the reason why we gather here today is because Jesus is Lord. Whether we fully submit to that or not, whatever reason you're here, I believe God has brought you here because of Jesus Christ. And because you are brought here in the name of Jesus, Christ's peace reigns among us. That's why we can commune together. So I want you to do something real quick. We don't normally do this, but I want you to be a little active at the beginning of, of the sermon, all right? So I want you, you don't have to stand up, but I want you to turn to your neighbor, right? And I want you to say, the peace of Christ be with you. And you return it back, and the peace of Christ be with you. I know, it's so awkward. Jesus makes things so awkward sometimes. But let me say this. Here's why that's important. is because the peace of Christ reigns in this place. And if you are a part of Jesus, a part of his life in him, you are at peace with God, and you are also at peace with your neighbor. It's good to remind one another of that by extending Christ's peace to one another. Let's pray together. Father, as always, could come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your word to us, for it is a gift. Your word is our life, our guide, our strength. And God, today I pray for all of us in here that gather around your lordship, that you give us ears to hear your word, and that you give us hearts to follow. God, I pray for the gift of preaching today. In the name of Jesus, your word to us. Amen. So, there's a guy by the name of Chris Gillibo who has set out, early on in his life, he set out to visit 198 countries, every single country on the planet before the age of 35. I mean, even the hard ones to get into. And there's a few that he readily admits, yeah, I only got into the airport of this one. And in North Korea, he admits he got to the border at the DMZ and sat at the negotiating table, but he was there. And while he was traveling and trying to get to all 198 countries, he would blog about it. And really his blog became a blog about travel tips and travel hacks about how you get in and out of places, where to go, what to see, what to do. But on April 4th, 2013, he visited his final country. The country of Norway was his last stop. And it was his final visit on this journey that took him to 193 countries. They threw a party 
And he had a goal, Chris did, and he was determined, resolute, and relentless in pursuing this goal. In the story that we come to in Acts today, we find another man who traveled quite a bit, and he had a goal, and he was fairly determined. In fact, he was very determined. He was very resolute, and he was relentless at pursuing this goal. In fact, you read, we're in, we're in Acts chapter 9 today, but if you go back to Acts chapter 8, it says this. When we read the story about the stoning of Stephen two weeks ago, and after Stephen had died, it says in Acts 8, chapter 1, and Saul approved of their killing. And that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and, it, and, and uh, all except the apostles were scattered out through Judea and Samaria, and the godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And then later on in the book of Acts, in chapter 26, Paul has this chance to speak before King Agrippa, and he says this. He talks about his own experience. I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from synagogue to synagogue to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. And then in our text today, he says this. Luke says, meanwhile, this is verse 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He went from house to house. He went from synagogue to synagogue. He went from city to foreign city. He went everywhere he could find. He wanted to hit every house, every synagogue, every city where Christians, people that were part of the way in order to persecute them. Paul had a goal. Saul had a goal. And he, his goal, he was determined. He was resolute. He was relentless in pursuing that goal. But then picking up in verse 3, it says this. As he neared Damascus on his way to persecute Christians, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. 
So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on the street, on the straight street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from, fell from Saul's eyes, and he could again see. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. We know this story. At least if you've gone to church long enough, you've heard this story. In fact, sometimes this story is called the Damascus Road. And oftentimes, not always in, in the churches maybe you've grown up in, but in lots of churches, they talk about this story as, what's your Damascus Road? Like everybody has a Damascus Road. And it's this story, what that's code for is a story of conversion, so what's your Damascus Road story? And oftentimes when we read this, we think of conversion often in moral terms. Let me, let me give you an example. So when you hear someone's conversion story, it goes like this. Man, I was a sinner. I was the worst of sinners. But by God's amazing grace, it changed my life. Man, you don't understand, I was a drunk laying in the side of a ditch, unconscious. Then I became sober, and Jesus changed my life. Or I was addicted, I was addicted to all kinds of things. And then I met Jesus, and he changed everything. Or maybe it's like, you don't understand, I was a very angry man. So much so I could feel the violence within me. But when I met God, he softened my heart and changed my behavior. Or maybe for some, it's like I pursued all kinds of things in my life. I was so greedy and materialistic. All I wanted was more and more and more. And then I found Jesus. Or maybe it's this one. I struggle with jealousy. I would just gossip about people all the time. And then I met Jesus. You can imagine that Damascus Road story, right? 
And it's typically always about changing some kind of moral behavior. And we're tempted to read Paul's story in this way because there is this change in behavior. I mean, Paul is murderous and he's threatening Christians all over, but this story is not primarily about a conversion in morals. It's not primarily about just a conversion in behavior. In fact, throughout the book of Acts, there's tons of conversion stories. And most of them are not necessarily about changes in behavior, primarily. There are changes in behavior that happen, but that's not what they're primarily about. So think about the story. There's a story coming up about Cornelius, who was a God-fearer, is converted. Think about Lydia, who Paul later meets. She is a businesswoman that sells purple cloth. They meet her in the place of prayer, and she says she's a worshiper of God. Think about the, the story we read last week about the Ethiopian eunuch who is a God-fearer. These aren't people that are coming on ditches in the side of the road from a drunken stupor or necessarily addicted to anything, necessarily. And even Paul, what's emphasized about Paul, even in his own words, that if you go to Acts 22, what was read earlier, Paul says this, his own testimony. He says, I was trained in the law. And I was zealous for God. Now, we look at that, and rightly so, we say, yeah. But this was this kind of self-righteousness. Paul is described and self-describes himself as a righteous person. Even though he might be self-righteous. But I want you to see, here's what's important is that in this text, it's not primarily about conversion of morals. Here's what this text is primarily about. Here's what the Damascus story is primarily about. This is a conversion to be for sure. But it's not a conversion necessarily of morals. This is a conversion of vocation. Conversion in Acts is almost always connected to calling and specific tasks and vocation. Conversion for, in Acts is less about getting one life right or straightening up than it is about being called by God and being sent to do his, to do his bidding. Saul does not have a call in order to stop persecuting the church because even once Paul stops persecuting the church, we know full well it's not like the, the church stops being persecuted. Paul's calling doesn't save necessarily any more Christians from death or imprisonment. In fact, Paul, even himself, is subject to that same persecution. This is about conversion of vocation. Because in verse 15 and 16, 
Jesus says to Ananias, he says this, he says, go, this person, this Saul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. This one is my instrument. Now, if you're thinking, mm, I don't know, Ben. I'm not sure I'd buy it. Saul's story is not the only story in this story. Think about who else just pops up in this story. There's a guy named Ananias in this story. And Ananias, it says he is the disciple that lives in Damascus. And he also, too, gets a vision from God. Saul's not the only one that sees Jesus or even gets words from Jesus. Ananias gets a word. And the Lord says to Ananias, Ananias, yes, Lord. There is this man named Saul that is in a house on Straight Street in Damascus. I want you to go to that house because he's seeing a vision of a guy, you, Ananias, that you're going to come and you're going to restore his sight. And of course, Ananias is no dummy. He says, yes, Lord. Did you say Saul? Yes, I said Saul. Saul of Tarsus, right? Yeah, Saul of Tarsus. That same Saul of Tarsus that's been going around and dragging people out of their houses and out of synagogues and out of the city and throwing them in prison? Yeah, that's Saul. That's who I'm talking about, Ananias. You mean the same one that when Stephen was martyred that he stood there? And not only Stephen, but all the other people who've been killed that he cast their lot and said, yeah, kill him. Yeah, that's all. So you want me to go to the house of a man who's actually looking for me because I'm a member of the way and you want me to go to him and say, hey, Jesus sent me. <laughs> That's exactly what I want you to do, Ananias. Saul's story is not the only con story of conversion. Ananias had to be converted as well. Have you ever had that experience? Wait, God, you want, what? you want me to do what? I'm reading in your word, you want me to do what? Now, this is not someone necessarily with bad moral character. It says he is a disciple. He's already given his life to Jesus. He's a member of the way. And he hears the same kind of calling. And he says, Really? And there's this conversion moment. It's not a conversion of morals. It's actually a conversion, a conversion of purpose. It's actually a conversion of mission. It's a conversion of vocation. And Ananias is converted. 
for the purposes of God being God's instrument of healing to Saul. Now let me say this. Conversion of vocation shapes several things. Right? To be sure, there is a change in behavior. Don't hear me not saying that. There is a change in behavior for Saul, but here's what I want you to notice. Saul's behavior changes because his vocation changes. Notice that Jesus doesn't tell him, stop doing this. That's your call. He comes to Saul and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he doesn't ever tell him to stop, although that's implied, but what does he say next? He says, why are you doing this? Why don't you think about doing this? Do you see the difference? It's not that he says, Paul, here's what I'm getting you to convert from. Just stop persecuting me. No, he's saying, Paul, I have a different task for you. And once you have a different task in life, your behavior is going to change. Have you ever had that known to be true? So think about it right now. Everyone of you, except if you're medical doctors, okay? If you're a medical doctor, this doesn't apply to you. But think about if God called you to be a medical doctor. Oh my goodness, everybody's like, no! Think about how radically your life and behavior will change. If you decided to go back to med school. Everybody's like, oh, I gotta start studying again. For me, it would have to be this radical change that when I see blood, I don't faint, right? That would be for me. But think about if your vocation changed. If your vocation changes, your behavior is going to change. Paul didn't stop killing Christians because Jesus said, cut it out. Paul stopped killing Christians because Jesus gave him a different task. He says, go make them. Don't kill them. Go make them. But it not only changes behavior, it changes our understanding as well. Conversion is not just simply a matter of the heart or our emotions, although that often associates with being converted. Right? If you remember the time, maybe it was like this for you. Maybe it was summer camp or maybe there was, it was this emotional experience. And it's supposed to be one of those things. But it's not just that. It's a cognitive experience. It carries with it a call to service and action. It's this reorientation that you understand your life and your purpose different now. That's what, that's what a conversion is. And so Saul, he thinks his whole life... He's doing God's will. And then Jesus appears to him, and he has this conversion experience, and he understands God's will in a different way. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to... This is not my goal in life? To go after the way? Now it's to go to the Gentiles? Changes behavior. Changes our understanding. Some of you heard me talk about my own experience. For, for those of you who don't know, 
my wife and I and our children, we served as missionaries in Uganda, East Africa for six years. But I remember as a child, I don't know why, I distinctly remembered this. I don't know why, but I remember thinking, I never want to be a missionary. I, and I remember, this is the reason. <laughs> I said, I never want to be a missionary because those people are super weird. That's what I thought. And then I became one, I was like, yeah, I was right. They're super weird. I thought they were super weird. And maybe it was because I went to church and on a Sunday night I heard some missionaries talk and I just thought, yeah, the only reason you're doing that in another country is because you just don't fit in here. Forgive me for saying that, but that's what I thought as a teenage boy. My goal in life was to become a professional soccer player. And not just boyhood dream, like, Really, that's what I wanted to become. And I worked very, very hard at that. I gave my life to that. It was my goal. I was relentless and resolute. I was determined. And my sophomore year in high school, at the, at the spread, Quell Springs Church of Christ, there was, a, there was a mission trip to France. We were supporting missionaries in France, like we support now, except they were in France. And... My first thought wasn't, oh, missions. My first thought was, France, that's where soccer is. So I signed up because of soccer. I did. And I was determined. One of the things we did was we did Let's Start Talking. We used their material. And I was determined. I was just like, you know what? This is not for me. I'm not going to teach. That's not my gift. That's not what I do. That's just not me. It's not who I am. And so I was just determined I'll do anything. I'll wash dishes. I'll sweep floors. I'll do anything, but I'm not going to teach. And so we get there, and right away, the only youth that was there, we're supposed to teach youth and do some of these lessons with the youth. So the first couple of days, we didn't start the lessons, but we did some activities and orientation. Well, there was always this one guy that had been kind of marginally a part of the youth there at the church in Toulouse, France, and his name was Franck. Frank didn't speak any English. But somehow, Frank and I kind of connected. I don't, I don't know how. We didn't speak the same language. He wasn't even good at soccer. Like, I have no idea how Frank and I became friends. We became friends. I don't know. We just kind of, I was interested in him. He was interested in me. And so the first day, we go to the church building, and we walk in, and this is the day we're supposed to start studying. And all of a sudden, it hits me. Franck is the only one that's there, along with our other youth group. And then it really hits me. They're going to ask me to study with Franck. I'm the closest one to him. Sure enough, hey, Ben, why don't you go take Franck back to this back room and go study with him? So I went back, like deer in the headlights, and studied with Franck while the other the other five or seven that were with me, youth, they went to the kitchen and they cleaned the kitchen and cleaned the floors in the auditorium. That was supposed to be my job. And I'm stuck with Frank. And I studied every day with Frank. I studied with Frank. I studied more than any other in that whole youth group on that trip. I had a decent experience doing that. And so when I went to college, my goal still was around soccer. So when I went to college, 
I was a scholarship athlete at Oklahoma Christian, so I couldn't really do the Euro studies and go to Vienna in the fall because that's when our season was. So I thought, hey, I kind of enjoyed this missions thing. I love to travel the world, so I'm going to use missions as a way to travel the world. So I went to Poland, and then I went to Kenya. And I remember being in Kenya, and Darlene Colston, her, her and her husband, Charles Colston, run Made in the Streets Ministries, a fantastic ministry I got to work with. They work with homeless uh, kids that live in the Mathari District, one of the largest slums in the world. And I remember one night talking to her and telling her about my dreams and goals about becoming a professional soccer player. And I think I thought I had matured quite a bit because I said, I want to be a professional soccer player and I want to go to Europe and use that gift and that talent and that goal to become a professional soccer player as a platform and to, to tell people about Jesus. Because I th if I'm a professional soccer player, people will listen to me. And Darlene Colston just looked and tilted her head. She said, Ben, you don't need to become a professional soccer player for people to listen to you. I said, what do you mean, Darlene? She says, all you have to do is love people, and they'll listen to you. That hit me. Then later on, I had an opportunity at the, my senior year. I had actually gone to combines, professional soccer combines, and of 400 people at the Combine in Dallas, I made the final 20 cut. The final game where all the triads, where all the coaches were watching. And I got offered an opportunity at the end of that year, before, I was, before the draft came up, to go to Kenya and Uganda for four months. And I remember sitting there late at night praying under a tree. I used to go to this tree and I'd say, God, I don't know what to do. I was torn at this point. And I remember praying, God, if you want me to become a professional soccer player, then let me get drafted. But if not, don't let me get drafted and let me go to, let me go to Africa. As it turned out, I didn't get drafted. I went to Kenya for four months. And while I was there in Kenya, I remember thinking to myself, I'm kind of living here. I mean, four months is not really living there. But in my mind, I was living in Africa. I was like, I, I think I could do this. But then I started asking myself the question, Ben, why would you do this? I didn't really tell anybody, but I was asking myself this question, why would you do this? And then one day, I was asking myself for probably every day for a month, and I think this was God's spirit working on me. I was asking myself, why would you do this? But why would you do this? Until one day, it just occurred to me, that wasn't the right question. And one day, instead of saying, God, why would, you, why would I do this? this? These words came out of my mouth, God, why wouldn't I do this? And I didn't have an answer for that. And that slowly led me down the road to become a missionary in Uganda. Here's what conversion is. Usually we think of conversion as we're saved from something. You are saved from your sin. That's why we have peace today amongst one another. But in this case, in the book of Acts, you're not just saved from something. You are saved for something. 
we have far too long talked about what we're saved from and not talked about not talk about what we are saved for and that is the question what are you saved for let me talk to the youth for just a minute now i've got your attention everybody's like waking up off their phones This is a time of your life where you're thinking about all kinds of things you want to do. Thinking about maybe, you, I mean, if you're getting a little bit older, you're thinking about what do you want to, people ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? You want to be, a, what do you want to be? So you're thinking about those things. Some of you are. <laughs> Some of you are thinking about lunch right now. And if you're not thinking about it, you're thinking about it right now because I just said it. But anyway, so you're, you're thinking about what you want to do. My story is not about you answering or calling to become a missionary or a minister. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I am saying. If you want to become a doctor, become a doctor. If you want to become a lawyer, become a lawyer. If you want to be a teacher, be a teacher. If you want to become an engineer, become an engineer. If you want to go in the arts, go into the arts. But whatever you do, whatever you do, do not waste that on yourself. You have too many gifts and opportunities to waste a vocation or on yourself. And to the rest of you, the same goes for you as well, but the rest of you that aren't teenagers and you think, ah, I'm pretty settled in my life. Here's what I want you to know. Conversion is not a one and done event. Look at Ananias. Look at Peter. We're going to read a story about Peter here in the next few weeks where he's converted all over again. Conversion is this ongoing process that we continually go through throughout our life. It's not that we go from unsaved to saved, although people in the book of Acts are saved for sure, but it doesn't stop there. Everyone who follows Jesus is being saved throughout their lives as God calls them to new vocations and new tasks. My story, I think you heard, it's a long story about this process of conversion. I was baptized at the age of 15. I didn't go onto that trip to France until I was 16. And I remember one of the things that helped me when I was baptized, I remember this is what I should do, this is who I should be, but I didn't fit. I kind of lived in a soccer world and I didn't really know where I fit in at church. And I remember there was this event that the youth group used to do, it was called Straight Up. Anybody old enough to remember Straight Up? There was a few hands. Well, it was filled of people that were musicians and guys like Toby Slough, he could, he could speak. I couldn't play an instrument. I could sing a little bit now, but I couldn't really sing then. And there's no way I was going to speak in front of anybody. I had no idea what my role was until one day Toby pointed to me, and this sounds really stupid, but it's, it, it made a huge difference. He pointed to me and he goes, Ben, I need you to open the curtains at the start. Really? I was 15. And that sounds really stupid, and maybe it shows like I was so excited. But, do you, but he asked me, he gave me a task, and I can't tell you how much I was committed to opening those curtains at the beginning of the. Because I couldn't sing or play an instrument or speak in front of anybody, 
but I could open those curtains. And I still go into Judd Theater, and there's times where I go before Missions Chapel, and I have to close them, and I think about that every time. My life made sense just because I got to open the curtain. I heard it recently, a, a definition of vocation is this, that vocation is where your greatest gifts meet the world's greatest need. Think about that. That your vocation is your greatest gifts, where your greatest gifts makes, meets the world's greatest need. Now, I heard that recently, but I want to change it a little bit because I, I want to change it. I think that's still good. Here's what I would say, though. Here's what vocation is. Vocation is where your greatest gifts meet God's greatest desires for the world. So your gifts versus God's desire equals your vocation. If you're taking notes, that's one thing you can take notes on. We need to discern our gifts. We need to discern what God wants for the world. And then we need to go participate in that vocation. Your gifts may be in healing, maybe in hospitality, maybe in organization or administration, maybe in teaching or art or nurturing. It may be even that your gift is making money. That's okay too. Because your greatest gift plus God's greatest desire for the world may actually serve his purposes. God's mission has a church and you have a vocation in the the world and in this place. Chris Gillibaud, he traveled, he had a goal. The story at the beginning had a goal to reach all 193 countries in the world. And he did it by the age of 35. But in the midst of this, what he discovered is that his goal his purpose really wasn't travel. He thought his purpose was to travel the world and see all that he could see, get into all the different countries. But as he traveled and blogged, it's through his blogs and later when coming back when people would talk to him about his blog that he realized his purpose in life is not travel. What he discovered is his purpose in life was inspiring he's given the rest of his life to doing that. What are your gifts? What is God calling you to? And will you join Saul and Ananias and all the other characters in the book of Acts down that Damascus road on this journey of conversion that God is calling all of us to. You are not just saved from something, you are saved for something. And God is calling you today to a new purpose, to a new mission, to a new vocation. Will you hear God's Spirit call you today?